turn with me in the back of your hymnals, back of your songbooks, to page 886. We're focused more now on the question, not what is the Lord's Supper, but who should come? And also, who shouldn't? Page 886, 81. Who should come to the Lord's table? Those who are displeased with themselves because of their sins, but who nevertheless trust that their sins are pardoned at the remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ, and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith, and lead a better life. Hypocrites and those who are unrepentant, however, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Should those be admitted to the Lord's Supper who show by what they profess and how they live that they are unbelieving and ungodly? No. That would dishonor God's covenant and bring down God's wrath upon the entire congregation. Therefore, according to the instruction of Christ and his apostles, the Christian church is duty-bound to exclude such people by the official use of the keys of the kingdom until, until they reform their lives. There's always a way back, isn't there? Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we come to him in repentance and faith. Turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians 10, page 1137. 1 Corinthians 10, page 1137. 1 Corinthians 10. We'll read verses 1 through 22. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape 
that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices, participants in the altar. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. In our text, 21 and 22, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. You can't eat at two tables. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? This is God's word. May he bless us by it and truly build our faith. Brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, we have a great God. And one of the aspects of his greatness is that he loves to dine with his people. He loves to feast with us. Who are we, God, that you should want to feast with us? That's why he gave his son. We were separated from one another, God and man. And he sent Jesus to take away that separation so we could be brought back together and sit around at a table. And the table we enjoy here is just a foretaste of the everlasting banquet in heaven. God loves to feast with his people. And we read in the scripture, the Lord's Supper is a feast of delight. Or a feast of danger if we come the wrong way. It's a place where we eat and drink Christ. Or a place where we eat and drink judgment to ourselves if we come the wrong way. It's a table where we meet God's joy. Or a table where we meet God's jealousy if we come the wrong way. How we come to the Lord's Supper is extremely important according to Scripture. Coming to the Lord's Supper, brothers and sisters, in a worthy manner is an important issue. In the next chapter, chapter 11, Paul will say, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself. And in this way, eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. How we come, what state we're in is really important. Later on, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, if you would judge yourselves before you come, before you eat, then God wouldn't have to judge you. So so judge yourselves. And that's the issue really of Question and answers 81 and 82. Who should come to the Lord's Supper 81 and who should not be admitted to the Lord's Supper 82? Because not every church member, professing church member, is always walking in a manner worthy of God. And maybe some of us here today are in that spot right now where we're not walking in a manner worthy of God. We may even have real faith. 
And that's the major concern taken up in 1 Corinthians 10. Because there are people there in the church professing Christians living two different lives, eating at two different tables, the table of the Lord and the table of demons. And God says you can't eat at both tables, not spiritually. So here we're taught what it means to come without hypocrisy. Let's reject hypocrisy. To come recognizing God's jealousy. And thirdly, with a regard for personal integrity. Rejecting hypocrisy. Recognizing the Lord's jealousy and regarding personal integrity is extremely important. You can't eat at two tables. We've got to reject the double life. John Bunyan calls him Pilgrim's Progress, Mr. Facing Both Ways. On Sunday, he faces this way, and on Monday, he faces this way, and he's living two separate lives, different lives, contrary lives. There were a lot of table troubles in the church at Corinth. On the one hand, the body was a divided group socially. There were your, your rich elite who brought all kinds of food for their Lord's Supper and sat in one corner really partying it up and even getting drunk. Amazing. That's what we read in 1 Corinthians 11 where you had the poor who were stuck in that corner and they had nothing. They were divided socially. But they were also divided spiritually and that's what we read in 1 Corinthians 10 in their own hearts and lives. They Many of them were divided. And during the week, they would participate in the idol feasts at one of the many different idol temples in the city of Corinth. Corinth was filled with idol temples. Yet the temple dedicated to Aphrodite, which sported a thousand prostitutes to serve the business class and the sailors. That was the goddess of erotic love. Then you had the temple of Asclepius, the god of healing. And they would offer prayers and sacrifices to the god of healing, to Asclepius, to take away their sickness. Or you had the temple of Poseidon, the ruler of the sea. And before you go on a voyage, you you go to the temple of, of Poseidon and you offer a sacrifice and prayers for safety on, on the sea. And in gathering at these temples for the feast, these temples for the feast was really a, a vital part of the social and economic fabric if you wanted to be anybody at all. If you wanted to get along with your neighbors in Corinth, like if you don't go to the temple at Poseidon and offer a sacrifice to the, to the ruler of the sea, nobody's going to hire you to build or fix their ship. You're not safe. So basically, if you did not participate in these festivals during the week, you were not going to get a job. You were considered unsafe. You were basically cut off from society. You were canceled. And that meant huge financial, cultural, social loss for people. But many in the Corinthian congregation decided 
it's okay with God if we have it both ways. We can do both feasts. Because you have to go along to get along, right? Like professing Christians would say in the 1930s and 40s under Hitler. Sometimes you just have to say Heil Hitler to be able to feed your children. Now when you read 1 Corinthians 10, it might seem obvious to us, but when you're in the thick of it, these are huge challenges. So the Corinthians learned how to live in both worlds and eat at two tables. In a way, their theology was right because Paul had been teaching them 1 Corinthians 6 and 8. Idols, they're nothing. Food sacrificed to idols, they're nothing. Go ahead, buy meat in the marketplace, have dinner with a neighbor, just don't ask where the food came from because these idols are nothing and they can't make the food magical or, or poisoned. So they said, well, if the idols are nothing and the food sacrificed to idols doesn't mean we can't eat it, then, well, we can also go to the festivals. Ah, says Paul, you've crossed the line because now you're engaging in pagan worship. Oh, the idols might be nothing. They're not. Right? You poke through the image of Aphrodite. There's nothing behind it. Or Poseidon. Nothing behind it. It is a nothing. Except false religions. Idolatry are inspired by demons. So so Paul says, when you participate in the feast, in the worship activities, you're actually fellowshipping with demons. He says it's sort of like on a parallel with the Lord's Supper. When you eat the bread and drink the cup, there's a wonderful blessed communion going on. It's just bread and wine, but it's a sign and seal of Christ. And at the table, he himself comes and you enjoy his friendship. And he talks to you about your sins being forgiven. And he encourages you and comforts you with good news that he will go with you and strengthen you through the hard things in life. He's pulling you into an embrace at the table. You see, the bread and wine aren't God's, but behind them is the true God. And you're participating with him at the Lord's Supper. Well, as a parallel, the same thing is happening at the feast, the festival of Aphrodite. Though that's not the true God, it's inspired by demons. And demons are real. They're not God, but they're real. And you're participating with them. And really what you're saying is, I need the Lord's Supper for one aspect of my life, to forgive my sins. But I need Aphrodite, and I need Poseidon, and I need Asclepius for healing and finances and the business side of my life. They compartmentalize their life. It said, for, for one thing I need the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for the other I need idols, even if they're not real. That's what was going on. Really what they were doing was saying during the week at their festivals, 
Jesus is nothing for me right now. We can do both. You think that's true? Can we do both? Can we be Mr. Facing both ways depending on what's going on and what we need and it's okay? We think we can do both tables. And you can physically. You can go to both. You can worship Jesus Christ physically at the Lord's Supper in appearance. And you can worship the goddess of erotic love and the goddess of healing during the week and worship at her temple. But spiritually you can't. Satan will tell you you can do both tables. He loves the double life of the hypocrite. But God says in 1 Corinthians 10, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. You cannot. Because Jesus says when you eat, when you're living that double life, and you eat the bread, and you drink the cup, I will not be there with you in grace. I will be there in judgment. But I will not be there with you in grace to comfort and encourage you. You will leave empty. You cannot eat at two tables. Satan will tell you you can. To recognize God's jealousy in this, we see secondly, we cannot eat at two tables because we will arouse God's jealousy when we try to face both ways and live a double life. 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And that's why Paul brings in the first 10 verses examples from what happened to the church in the Old Testament. Like us, he says, they had the sacraments in the wilderness. They they had baptism. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They had the Lord's Supper too, in a sense. They drank water from the rock and they ate manna from heaven and both were a picture of the presence of Christ going with them through the wilderness in his grace, forgiving their sins, strengthening them to fight against the evil one and encouraging them and comforting them, giving hope for the journey ahead. They fellowshiped with Christ in the wilderness even though it was the Old Testament and he hadn't come yet in the flesh. He was there. And they ate and drank with him. But they wanted another table in their lives. You see that, right? Well, Paul gives two examples. Mount Sinai, where they build this golden calf, this Egyptian fertility god. And they set up a feast And they're partying, and they're dancing, and they're playing, and pagan revelry. And they think that they can fellowship with God at the sacrifice, and fellowship with 
false deity. And you remember how God came among them and killed so many of them. They provoked him to jealousy. And then he gives another instance. We read about it in Numbers 25 where the, they were traveling around to, through the wilderness, coming through Moab to the promised land. And we read there, the people of Moab invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. And Israel said, no way, we're a one-table people. We fellowship with the one true God, and we will not participate in your pagan worship. We don't recognize, no, no, that's not what they said. Here's what happened. The people of Moab invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. And then it says, so Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and 23,000 were killed in a plague in one day. Is God okay with people, his people eating at two tables, the table of the Lord and the table of demons? No, it arouses his jealousy. And you might think, that's mean. Jealousy is beautiful, the right kind of jealousy. We're his bride. We're God's wife, and he's jealous for our devotion to him because we're the only, he's the only one who can save us. He is the only one who can really supply all our needs and bring us from sin to glory. And then when we start trotting after sin, as if sin can fill our lives, and idolatries can really satisfy us, God is saying, I got to do something. That's going to kill you. That's going to destroy you. If you leave me, or try to two-time me, where you think you can have only be satisfied and filled if you eat at two tables because I'm not good enough. That's going to destroy you. And so we saw that this morning with how he went after Jonah. It's his jealousy. It's his love that sometimes brings judgment and punishment and even disaster to cause us to wake up and, and bring us back, call us back. Sometimes God will bring troubles into our lives and in the church to pull us away from these idols that are starting to capture our hearts. And that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. He says to the Corinthian church, God is judging you with troubles, not to condemn you to hell, but to rescue you from living in sin. Listen to 1 Corinthians eleven thirty-two. 32. But when we are judged by the Lord... Sometimes when we hear those words, we eat and drink judgment to ourselves, we automatically think God's condemning us to hell. But listen to what it's saying. When we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. It's his discipline calling us back. You're two-timing me. You can't eat at two tables. And in my jealousy, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to stand in front of you. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that loving? And that's why he calls us to self-examination, brothers and sisters. So we can check ourselves. Are we living, am I living the life of the hypocrite and the unrepentant? Question and answer 81 tells us to ask ourselves that question. 
I living in idolatry? And eating at, trying to eat at two tables in my life. The table of fellowship with Christ on the one hand, and the table of fellowship with sin on the other. And if I'm not repenting of my hypocrisy, if I'm not fleeing from idolatry and fleeing to Christ for forgiveness and grace, then I must not come to the Lord's table or I will arouse his jealousy against me and the church. I first must break off my fellowship with sin and idols and I must flee from them. And I must redevote my life to Christ alone and rest in him alone and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. He always welcomes unworthy sinners who repent. That's, his, that's, that's what he does. But we don't come in a worthy manner when we don't repent. Not speaking about being worthy, but coming in a worthy manner. Christ is our worthiness and recognizing him, trusting in him, recognizing our weakness and sin and running from them, running to him. That's what it is to come in a worthy manner. So I'm breaking off my fellowship with sin and idols, fleeing from them and fleeing to Christ alone for my forgiveness and salvation and strength to fight the good fight. And then you see the table as a place for weak people, weak sinners who see the idolatry and the sin tugging at their lives and rushing to Christ saying, you need to help me and please use the table to help me fight against the idols that are pulling at me. To help me put, my, put to death my love affair with sin. And that's not only the calling of each believer to examine his or her own, whole, her own whole, whole life, own life, but also the church as a whole, to watch out for one another and for leaders to say to a professing member who professes unchristian teachings or lives an ungodly life, you cannot come to the Lord's Supper until you repent of that and run from that, lest we provoke God's jealousy and invite his wrath upon the congregation. That's what... 82 is saying, you cannot eat at two tables. So what does that look like? I don't see a temple of Aphrodite here in town or Poseidon and us going and enjoying the festivals, the pagan festivals. But there are idols. There are sins that the demons are using try to pull me away from Christ and to live in them. Here are some ways to think about it. If you throughout the week are living in fellowship with sin, if it's your way of life to cheat and steal from your neighbor, To abuse your spouse. To live in adultery, sleeping with your girlfriend or boyfriend or having affairs with other partners online. 
or anywhere else. If you're depending on the horoscope or astrology for your daily cues, or need the Quran, or enjoying the Quran for daily inspiration, or dependent on alcohol for feeling good, or wasting your money on sports betting or online gambling, or spending the Lord's Day on your own pleasures, or getting caught up in a revolutionary movement that's plotting to take down your government, or whatever pattern of idolatry or sin, if you are stuck in that, and living in that, and not fleeing from that, repenting of that, Lord, get me out of here, help me. Then you're trying to eat at two tables. The idle tables and the tables, the table of the Lord. And God says, take heed to yourself. Examine your doctrine and life. Put to death your love affair with sin, your devotion to the idols of self and pleasure and money and power. Flee temptation, flee from idolatry, flee to Christ. And you may be so stuck in that that you don't see a way out. I can't. And the answer is true, you can't. That's what Christ is about. That's why he came. That's why he gave his life. To set you free. And that's what it is to come with integrity. Not to come as a super saint. But as an ordinary Christian wrestling with sin and temptation and idolatry. And seeking the Lord Jesus Christ as your way out and to know that in Him, His grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in your weakness. That's what it is to be a person of Christian integrity. Not that you're a super saint, but that you're an ordinary saint. Living with Jesus, walking with Jesus in a daily fellowship of repentance and faith. 81 is super helpful for what Christian integrity is. I'm just going to read that. Who should come to the Lord's table? Number one, those who are displeased with themselves because of their sins. Is that you? You hate it? You want out of that? You want to be free from that? Number two, who nevertheless trust that their sins are pardoned and their remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ. Are you fleeing not only from something but to someone, to Jesus? Do you believe that he's sufficient not only for forgiveness but for every aspect of your life? He alone is sufficient and he's got you completely covered. Even your faith is imperfect, right? Are you trusting Christ's perfection to cover your imperfect faith? Your life is imperfect too. Full of imperfect desires, unholy desires, and thoughts, and worries. 
and actions and words? Are you resting in Christ's perfect life to cover your imperfection and his perfect sacrifice to pay for all your sins? Thirdly, who desire more and more to strengthen their faith and lead a better life. Do you want a stronger faith? Do you want to live a holier life? Does that live in you, that desire? And you know that Christ, Christ is the only way to get that. That's integrity. Hypocrites are those who want to eat at both tables. Or even if they don't always want to, they're not ready to leave that table for all it offers them, that other table. And so therefore they're unrepentant. Brothers and sisters, it matters very much how we come to the Lord's Supper and for that matter, how we come to worship at any time and how we live our lives seven days a week. Are we trusting in Christ alone? Or are we Mr. or Mrs. facing both ways? Let's repent, each one of us, and be in the daily business of fleeing sin and temptation, finding in Jesus safety, peace, and comfort. And as the form says, come, repenting sinners. The table is ready. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for giving to us the warnings from the Old Testament, the warnings from Corinth. Lord, this junk that lives among your people is as old as the church itself and it's still a problem. We acknowledge that today and we seek your grace to address that problem in our own lives. Lord, help us to live with one confidence, Jesus Christ, and to eat at one table looking to you alone for the nourishment of our faith and the strengthening of our life. And help us to flee from the idols that are nipping at our heels and the temptations that want to enter into our lives and take over. Oh, help us to say no. Your grace is sufficient for us. May your power be made perfect in our weakness. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.